Courtney. Hey, Sasha. Why do vampires hate their birthday? I don't know. Why? Because they don't always get what they want. Ah, 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 ah. It's spoop hour. Welcome back to Spoop Hour, a paranormal comedy podcast hosted by two Halloweenies. This is Sasha. This is Courtney. We can be found on the internet at Spoop Hour on Twitter and Instagram. You can also email us your spooky stories or firsthand ghost experiences or really anything at spoophour at gmail.com. And we'd love to hang out. Yeah. And this week is our combined birthday week. It sure Courtney's is. Courtney's birthday was yesterday and mine is mm-hmm. coming up on Thursday When if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Oh, sorry. Yesterday when we were recording. Yes. The other, yeah, this weekend. My birthday was this past Saturday. Saturday, yeah. And Sasha's is two days from now when you're yeah. listening. So it's birthday week. Happy birthday to us. The scariest thing of all, aging. Just kidding. We're both, Just we kidding. both have a pretty healthy relationship with getting older, I think. It's true. Yeah. We were just so. on, we were just recording with Boobies and Newbies mm-hmm. for an episode that we're guesting on at the end of October. For October. But we were basically talking about like the stress like the stress that society puts on us as we turn 30 and in Courtney's mm-hmm. case 31 and how so it's like old. no it's a pretty healthy age like the yeah. only uh, the only surprise that I learned was I thought turning 30 was going to make everything a little <laughs> bit better because people would be like oh she's an adult now and then Courtney said no that actually did not happen party. so yeah. <laughs> I was like damn it I was waiting for that to happen and then it, it didn't I yeah. was like I'm 30 now people will respect me and then they they truly did not so that's yeah. fine as the second Maybe youngest, now that I'm 31 <laughs> as the second youngest person in my English department with the other person being like 23 mm-hmm. I thought Maybe I will be not the baby anymore. And technically, I'm not the baby because we have a 23-year-old, but... But you're still the baby. I'm still the baby. <laughs> yeah, that, my work hired someone who was two years younger than me a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and I was like, great, they're going to give her a hard time, and now I'm going to seem old in comparison, and they'll take me seriously. And then I'm somehow still the baby, even though she's younger than me. And then I turned 30, and I thought that was going to be what did it, and it, it wasn't. No. So... <laughs> We're, the moral of the story is here at Spoop Hour, we're both baby. We're both baby. We're just both baby, and we're that's fine. Baby. Yeah. Did anything spooky happen to you this week? The relentless march of time, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, just like some very, st- I mean, I always, you and I both have vivid nightmares. We do. But yesterday, I guess this is pretty spooky. Yesterday, I took the dog out to the front yard on a walk. Usually, we just let her run around the backyard because there's space and she doesn't have to be on her leash. She doesn't have to be in her harness. She just seems mm-hmm. to enjoy that. But we, I took her out on a walk in the front yard and I came across on my sidewalk a dead snake. And not just a dead oh. snake, a dead snake that had been pecked at and like no. partially skinned. And it was very upsetting to me, and I am glad that my dog just, like, sniffed right past it, like, she had no interest in it, and I 
got a branch out of my yard and sort of pushed it more towards, like, the sidewalk and hoped that peace will come to it. I then had nightmares about dead snakes. Oh, no. (laughs) The dead snake's fine. He's very happy. I hope so, yeah. It's like that, you know, the Grim Reaper comics, the the good mm-hmm. good Grim Reaper, where, like, he ushers was the I pets. Was I a good Yeah, was whatever. I a good dog, yeah, and, like, he ushers yeah. little wildlife and pets to the next yeah. life. I hope he got the snake. He did. Yeah. That Grim Reaper and I are very close. Good. So, he, he, he told me there was Thank a snake you. outside your house, but he's happy now and he's in heaven. Okay, so. good. How about you? Anything spooky besides the relentless march of time? <sighs> I've had a very harrowing week. I don't want to get into it too much yeah. because then I will have a panic attack. Yeah, that's uh, why I, the snake is the spookiest thing of all for this week and not yeah, the meltdowns maybe, I had throughout the week. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe next week, assuming I'm all good. I'm probably all good. Hmm. But assuming I'm all good, maybe next week I'll let you guys know what's up. We're probably fine. But other than shenanigans with the current environment, mm-hmm. I had two spooky things happen. And they both happened, like, right after we decided we were going to take last week off and do our uh, Patreon series instead. Mm -hmm. So one was, my mom sent me a present. (laughs) And this present was to cheer me up. This was not part of my birthday. This was to cheer me up because of the dead squirrel in my dryer vent. We think it was a squirrel. And so she got me this absolutely terrifying squirrel finger puppet that I now have on camera to horrify <laughs> Sasha. So, I love it so much because last night at your virtual birthday party, people yep. did not. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes me love him. So he's very upsetting. You can make him crawl like a spider on stuff. We'll post a picture on the Instagram. It is unsettling. The way it's designed is each of your fingers gets a different piece of the squirrel. So like four, three of your fingers and a thumb are weird little claw hands and then your middle <laughs> finger is the head <laughs> it's just, you can make so, him do the splits or like enunciate with his hands yeah. and like it's very it's, it is very unsettling. expressive and it's very unsettling but it makes me laugh so much he's really good we ultimately my co-worker that i co-parent the skeleton with we have named him stanislaus and we call him stan because we wanted him to have an old-timey kind of creepy name that started with S, and now we just call him Stan. And, yeah, I love him. He's, and I will post... A, I, I love him, too. He's just... Maybe I'll post a little video of him crawling up the wall like a spider, because <laughs> it is one of the more unsettling things he can do. And then, on top of that, part of why we took last week off is because I had my big work conference, and mm-hmm. one of the members of our board, who is cycling off of our board this year very sweetly decided to mail us all presents because we couldn't be there in person, but she wanted to send us send staff presents, which was very cute, except I forgot she was doing this and sending it to my home address. And so a couple days before the conference started, I got a package addressed to me with no return address. And I'm like, what is this? It's wrapped in brown paper. And I pick it up and I put it on the table and I open the brown paper and a bunch of dirt just dumps out of the box. So I'm like, who the fuck mailed me a box of dirt? What the hell? Who have I wronged who also has my address? And like the outside of the inner box where all the dirt came from had written on it, don't open till Tuesday. And then I was like, oh, this is that board member, isn't it? And I was like, I'm going to disregard the instructions not to open it till Tuesday because when you dump a bunch of dirt in my house, I get to do what I want. So I opened it and she had mailed us a succulent. All of us got a little baby succulent, which is a very sweet idea. But to keep the succulent from upending itself, she had filled it with eco-friendly packing peanuts. 
that's not gonna cut it. That's just gonna the, the essentially the pot flipped over, dumped uh, all the dirt out. So then there was a little sad succulent and a tiny amount of dirt left. Oh. And in trying to clean it up, like my hands were getting sweaty and dirty, and then the eco-friendly packing peanuts melt if they get wet. So they were sticking to my hands, and there's oh, dirt everywhere. Oh my god! <laughs> so someone mailed me a box of dirt, and shenanigans ensued. It's the thought that counts. It sure <laughs> is, and it's the count that thoughts. <laughs> And speaking of the count, look, I want to pull this up because I thought it was so funny. My husband's uncle posted on Facebook just like a reposted like a funny joke mm-hmm. on Facebook, but he said, "Where was it? Oh my god, where was it?" He also posted all this like anti-capitalist stuff, so I was like, "Yeah, yeah." Um, but he he said, "I was recently asked who my favorite vampire was." I said, the Muppet from Sesame Street. They told me, he doesn't count. I replied, I assure you, he does. <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> there was one more vampire joke that he posted. Ooh. It says, Dracula, Dracula says, you gotta stop, man. Me, turning another vegan into a vampire. LOL, but they get so mad. <laughs> like, oh my God. Oh, they would be mad. If you've never seen, it's on YouTube, The Count Censored. It's, they took a song that the Count from Sesame Street sings, but they censored out the word Count, and it just, it sounds filthy when you bleep all of the Counts. Oh my god, I love it. It's so good. So, 10 out of 10, do you recommend that video? Yeah. I guess, and one more other update about, like, life stuff. I voted early yesterday. Yay! I took my mail-in ballot, and I hand-delivered it to our county registrar's office. So make sure you do that ASAP. Yep. I mean, you make can vote on November 3rd, too, if you if that's what you decide to do, or your state doesn't mm-hmm. have early voting, or you don't have, like, COVID-related absentee voting. Mm-hmm. Our state was excited because they just were like, we don't even have, like, back in June for the... For the primary. For the, yeah, for the prime, not, not even for the presidential primary, but for like a local primary, they had yeah. um, mail-in voting for, and everyone could apply absentee mm-hmm. and use COVID as an excuse. But then by the summer, they were, they changed the law to be no excuse, early you voting in Virginia. Mail-in vote. So, yeah. so they have, we have early voting in Virginia now and it's awesome. Yay. So yeah, just make sure you have a plan to vote, make a plan. Yeah. Know what you're yep. doing. Know when you're yep. going. Don't be yep. like, oh, I think I can go after work. Don't go after work. Don't go after work. Everybody <laughs> Just take else the is. day off. <laughs> Dude, luckily, this coming weekend in our locale, there's 14 new locations opening up. Yay! So you don't even have to drive all the way out to the middle of our district. You can Yay. go to one that's closer to you. Yay! And drop off my absentee ballot. Yes. So make a plan. Vote early if you are able and you would like to. Vote on Election Day if you aren't able to or you want to vote on Election Day. Just vote. Just vote. If you can. We're not going to tell you who to vote for because we're going to trust that you're smart and you know the correct choice. But (laughs) vote. 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 Like a baby stoat. Yeah. Or a baby goat. Aw. Imagine a little baby goat voting. Vote. Your face is so cute when you do that. I don't know why you think you make a bad face. I think you make a cute face. In order to do that, my jaw has to, like, retreat into my neck. So then I look like a snake that's trying to, like, unhinge its jaw to eat a really big egg. (laughs) And I don't think that's my best look. So that's fine. (laughs) So what are we talking about today? Birthday babies? Eggs and snakes that eat them. I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
I genuinely just had a moment of, what are we talking about today? What are we talking today? about today? I pitched this fucking topic. Get it together, Courtney. <laughs> we, because Sasha is about to enter her 30s, because I am now resolutely within my 30s, we are both in our 30s, essentially, now. So... We thought it would be fun if we did 1930s ghosts, monsters, beasties, general spooky stuff from the 1930s. Because it's yeah. 30s, like us. And also, it was like the big era for spooky stuff. Yeah. yeah spooky so, stuff got real big in the 30s. Like so Halloween be, became more mainstream. Yeah. The whole thing. I'll be talking about horror movies from the 1930s. Nice. So that's going to be interesting. I did see, but I didn't, like, Mm -hmm. follow the thread because I was like, this isn't very much. But, like, the haunted house as we know it, where you, like, go to be scared, Mm -hmm. was rose to prominence in the 1930s in America. So that was when, you know, kids would wait in line and then stuff would pop out at them in houses. So, yeah. Yeah. No wonder we're becoming more powerful as we approach 30s. It's because the 30s are when you get spookier. Oh! I have a lot of people that I should probably send this episode to because... Uh, basically everyone around us are turning 30 or in their 30s and yep. also interested in spooky shit. So yep. welcome to the coven, friends. <laughs> the 30s coven. Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> the very serious way you said Yahoo. Yahoo. <laughs> Yahoo. <laughs> All right. So I have two ghost stories that start in the 30s. Okay. I have a very long history of the Universal Monster film. This first story comes to you courtesy of inews.co.uk, londonist.com, theguardian.com, and that's it because the other three sources are for my other thing, but I'm going to read them because I'm on a roll. The other one it comes from chicagohauntings.com, chicagology.com, and hauntdetective.com. Haunt Detective. So this first one is about the haunting of Alma Fielding. I got halfway into this research and I was like, we've maybe done this before, but then there were details that I didn't recognize, so I don't think we've done it before. It might just be similar to another haunting we did, you know. Yeah. There's a town called Alma near where my grandparents live. (laughs) It is not in Michigan, so. It's not in Michigan, so. We're good. (laughs) Or is it? Oh. Also, if you're interested in this and you want to read like an in-depth accounting of it, there's a book by Kate Summerscale, and I believe the book is also called The Haunting of Alma Fielding. Mm. And I did not read it because I just discovered it existed like two days ago, and I don't have the brain power to read a book in two days right now. Unless if it's you- for boobies and newbies. Hey, <laughs> and it's a true. romance movie. Uh, romance movie, romance <laughs> novel. <laughs> I can read a romance movie so fast right Right. now, you guys don't even know. (laughs) I know what words are. (laughs) (laughs) If you would like to read this, by all means do so, and then tell us what you think. It's supposed to be really good, I I just haven't read it. Yeah. So. All right. In February of 1938, a housewife in Croydon, South London, England, called the Sunday Pictorial with a strange story. Alma Fielding, then 34, said that she, her husband Les, her son Moore, just kidding, his name's Ah. Don, (laughs) and their lodger, George Saunders, had experienced a series of weird events at their home. Come to the house. There are things going on here I cannot explain, she said. The Sunday pictorial, clearly run by people like us, was like, absolutely, we are on our way. Let's friggin' go. Let's go. Two reporters to check out the situation. I like to think they were 1930s Courtney and Sasha, because <laughs> we'd be like, ooh, dibs. <laughs> right? Hell yeah. From 
From the moment 1930s Courtney and Sasha arrived, though, things were spooky. An egg came flying down the hall to crash at the feet of the reporters at the door. And Alma's was like, come in, I guess. That, <laughs> no. This sounds familiar, but I think Doesn't it's familiar it? in the sense of two people coming to a house that's reported to be haunted and the family just being like, I guess that's what it is. (laughs) Yeah, I I even went back through our back catalog, and I found the episode we did on Poltergeist. Spoilers, they think this is a Poltergeist. Yeah. And I I didn't mention in the episode description this one. Yeah. So I think it's just similar to the Portsmouth Poltergeist we did, Mm -hmm. which is the one where he would, like, dip bullets in the river and then throw them at people. Yeah. I think it just (laughs) sounds like a very poltergeisty story. Yeah, I think I think there's like a limited array of things that poltergeists do. So like, <laughs> including throwing eggs. <laughs> yeah, so like, how different is each poltergeist story mm-hmm. really going to be? Because there are a couple things where I'm like, I don't remember this detail, and I think I would have anyway. For mm-hmm. example, one such detail was that when Alma showed 1930s Courtney and Sasha to the kitchen, a pink dog figurine fell to the ground and shattered. No, not and the pink dog. I know, and it apparently was made out of China, too, so it was like a nice-ass dog figurine. That's so sad. But at the same time, it's like, if you had gotten it made out of a hardier material, it maybe wouldn't have shattered when it fell. Yeah. But then it's, like, what's the worth of that tchotchke, then, right? Exactly. You yeah. gotta You gotta weigh the pros and cons of all the tchotchkes you get. <laughs> also, while they were in the kitchen, a can opener floated and operated itself at head height. No. I should say, I Americanized that. They called it a tin opener, which was very cute, but I was like, no, we call those can openers here. Mm-mm. But you may know it as a tin opener, but it, like, flew at them, like, forehead level, which is a little funny. <laughs> When the crew sat in the front parlor to enjoy some tea, because they're not animals, and even though there's a poltergeist hopping around, they're still going to have some friggin' tea. It's called hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up, poltergeist. Up. <laughs> <laughs> so they're having their tea, and Alma was holding her teacup and saucer when they abruptly floated out of her hands, and then the saucer shattered. Oh, no. Then Alma, who again... It's called Hospitality, looks it up. She got a replacement saucer. She's like, God forbid I have this tea without a little saucer. Right. But then when she was holding that saucer, it exploded in her hand and cut her thumb. No. So maybe it's just an anti-saucer ghost. We don't know. This poltergeist has no manners. Yeah, this poltergeist is like, fuck your nice things. Because <laughs> smash. As the reporters helped Alma bandage her wound, a crash resounded from the kitchen. So they rushed back into the kitchen and found the source of the sound was a wine glass that had fallen to the floor and shattered. But Stop breaking her nice shit! <laughs> here's the crazy part. The wine glass had been in a locked cabinet, and the cabinet was still closed and locked. No, I hate it. But also stop breaking her nice shit. (laughs) Well, the poltergeist does change speeds and just breaks another egg this time by lobbing it through the living room. And then a large piece of coal rose from the fireplace and charged towards one of the reporters. So I guess the ghost was like, I've smashed enough of your nice things. I've made my point. Give me some coal. (laughs) (laughs) Then a wardrobe in the bedroom collapsed for seemingly no reason. While the other residents of the house were home when all of these different things went down when the reporters were with Alma, the reporters insisted that the origins of the activity were otherworldly and concluded they were the result of a malevolent, ghostly force. Okay, that wardrobe breaking reminded me of the time that... Oh, uh, yeah. When the liquor cabinet just, like, died <laughs> at Jack's old place, where yeah. we were all just, like, having a nice chat. We are just, like, you know, hanging out, and then all of a sudden this giant 
alcohol cabinet, liquor cabinet just bloop, it just stopped. It just Yep. It Basically that, but a wardrobe in the bedroom. And oh, also God. specifically poltergeist related. So the Sunday pictorial heard this story and was like, you got it, boss. And they ran it on the front page the next day. Oh, my along God. Along with the articles, bull ease, <laughs> and one simply titled Hitler with an exclamation point. I saved the photo so you could see Hitler with an exclamation point because it made me laugh. Hitler. Hitler. Oh, my God. And then like so a lady ran doing, like, on a, the front page along yep. with the story about Hitler. Yep, there's this story. I'll post this po- picture on the Instagram as well. This Terror is the story. Terror Night in Home. It was above the fold, too. That's the It was. Top. It's Terror Night in Home wrecked by ghost, then below the fold, Hitler. That's how much people didn't care about Hitler. Nope. And his whole thing his in 1938. Thing. I'm fi- blanking on you know, his Holocaust, his... Yeah. The ghost... The poltergeist was much more interesting to Westerners. Yes. Yikes. England was like, eh, that seems like it's going to sort itself out. We're probably not going to get into a war over this. Hitler. Hitler. Question. Hitler? Question mark. Hitler? No, it's Hitler exclamation point. Exclamation point. point. (laughs) Who is he? What do we know about him? Does he know things? Let's find out. Yeah, that's basically what the article says. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I can't read the article. It's not that high quality image. So, in the wake of the Sunday pictorial piece... Our old pals, the Society for Psychical Research, got involved. Every time they come up, the word psychical makes me laugh. I love it. Every I love single them. time. Every single so, time. So, spiritual researcher Nandor Fodor investigated the matter. After interviewing the family and the lodger, holding multiple seances in the home, taking photographs and samples of various things around the house, and even conducting x-rays on Alma herself, Fodor diagnosed the issue. It's a poltergeist! Poltergeist! After learning that Alma would frequently find herself with fossils in her hands, new jewelry on her fingers, flowers under her arms, and even beetles coming out of her clothing, and one time, while driving, a turtle on her lap, (laughs) Fodor narrowed this down his theory and said, Alma was able to astrally project herself, and as a result, she was actually opening herself up to be possessed by spirits. The spirit in this instance was that of a murderer that Alma may have been in a past life. And so she got a turtle on her lap because she was a murderer in a past life. The murderer just really loves turtles. I like turtles. I just think it's neat. I just (laughs) friggin' love turtles, you guys. (laughs) Anyway, Alma went on to tour with the Society for Psychical Research and Fodor. And interestingly, Fodor, just before this incident, was losing his interest in spiritualism because he thought all the mediums that he associated with at the Society for Psychical Research, he thought they were all bullshit artists. So he was kind of like, I don't, he kind of like lost his faith in spiritualism and was becoming more of a skeptic. Sure. But after meeting Alma and hearing this whole story, he was like back in. He's like, this is so legit. All in on spiritualism. Amazing. something worth noting. Alma was paid for her time and was frequently the subject of psychic theft experiments. So, like, basically, they'd put her near a store and be like, just hang out, Alma, just, like, clear your mind, do whatever. And Alma would disappear for a bit and start walking with, and, like, they'd give her, like, a locked briefcase, and she'd start walking out of the store with her locked briefcase. And then they'd take the locked briefcase from her, unlock it, and there would be rings from the jewelry store in there. And nobody in the jewelry store saw her take them. What the fuck? So either she was a really good thief, or she was able to psychically thieve it. (laughs) Bizarrely, story is not done yet. Oh my god. 40 years later, 
In the very same house where Alma first reported spooky incidents, a woman referred to as Mrs. Forbes reported that a vampire, or vampire-like apparition, regularly appeared and would choke her, bite her, and burn her. I don't understand how he could burn her if he's a ghostly vampire, but he did. That's fine. The vampire, which was frequently invisible, would also steal necklaces by yanking them off her neck, so she would show, like, the necklace markings where he had Mm. just... Yanked it off. Yeah. Also, the vampire had an invisible tiger friend, and sometimes the invisible tiger friend would come along, and on one occasion, it mauled Mrs. Forbes' arm, so she had all these long scratches that she insisted came from a ghostly tiger. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I love that the vampire is like, and also I have a tiger. By the way. Any questions? (laughs) Any questions? No, we good. I'm so cool. Cool. (laughs) I'm real cool, you guys. I have a pet tiger. It just reminds me of, um... If you see Harley Quinn on HBO, the animated series of, about mm-hmm. her, she walks in after her big breakup with Joker, like, in a new outfit carrying a tiger, and is like, yeah, I'm cool, I'm cool. <laughs> like, look at me, I'm doing great after her breakup. Yep, that's basically this vampire, is like, I'm fine, I'm not upset about the breakup at all, I've already forgotten Claire, or whatever her name was, it's not important. <laughs> Check out my cool tiger. Check out my cool tiger. I'm fine. Why does everybody look at me like that? I'm totally cool. Anyway, once again, our buddies, the Society for Psychical Research, got involved. And this time they used Fodor's methods to investigate the issue. Because I don't think Fodor at this time, he may have still been alive, but I don't think he was as closely involved Uh with the society anymore. I think they ousted him because they thought he was a fraud. Ironically. (laughs) (laughs) During various lab tests on Mrs. Forbes, dishes and other nearby items would be thrown around without a physical source. But the Society for Psychical Research was divided on these incidents. Some said that Mrs. Forbes was manifesting the activity, while others claimed she was using psi trickery as some sort of way to, like, fake what was going on. Mm. Mostly I just like the phrase psi trickery. Psi trickery. Psi trickery. Sure. Turn in some psi trickeries. (laughs) (laughs) Psi trickeries. So Mrs. Forbes was sent home to her family because the Society for Psychical Research was like, we don't know if you're faking... Mm -hmm. But it's kind of not our problem. So have a great year. (laughs) Set her on her way. But the poltergeist activity resumed once she was back home. Radios would be switched on and off seemingly at random. Ornaments would be thrown at various residents. And even Christmas wasn't safe from having the tree shaken and decorations smashed for no reason. Wow. Mysterious footsteps would sound throughout the house, and on one occasion, Mrs. Forbes' son said that he woke up to find an angry man in old-timey clothing standing at the foot of his bed and glaring at him. I like the idea of the son saying there's a man in old-timey clothing staring at him when it's the old-timey times. I mean, at (laughs) this point, it's the 70s, but yeah. Oh, it's the 70s, but still, I mean, even the 70s... to some, in some perspectives, the 70s is also old-timey. That is As true. As in, my students who think the 90s is old-timey, and that we <sighs> didn't have cell phones or the internet in the 90s. Lord. They would be very wrong, but... Kids these days, they don't know how kids, good they have it. We're so old and 30. <laughs> <laughs> I just the hear folks. our older listeners just, like, throwing their phones across the room. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are young, shut up! <laughs> Anyway, the Forbes eventually turned to religion and had their house blessed to try and get rid of the spirit. 
When that didn't work, they called a medium who said that the spirit was a farmer who had lived in the house in the 1700s and viewed the family as intruders. The medium also said that the farmer's wife haunted the building as well. In the face of two stubborn spirits, the Forbes family moved out. And there the tale ends. So we don't know what's going on now. Huh. Two spooky incidents, same spooky place. Two spooky, two incidents. Two spooky, two incidents. <laughs> the sequel to the Spooky, spooky Incidents movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to... Let, let's see where we go with this, because I have a lot of notes. But we'll see if I skip around. To, so I'm going to talk about the history of Universal's monster movies. and. Yay! How, in contemporary times, it was almost rebooted, lol. (laughs) So, my notes came from ScreenRantLiveAbout.com and Wikipedia. So, the most dominant imagery of classic horror movie, horror monsters, like, our very famous Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, not Dr. Frankenstein, but (laughs) Frankenstein's monster, the mummy and the wolfman in pop culture, these days exists because of Universal Pictures, which released many influential movies featuring these classic monsters starting in the 1930s. So let's talk a little bit about the history with some weird trivia as well. Love it. So predating the 1930s, in the 1920s, Universal released several silent horror films. The two notable films of this era were The Hunchback of Notre Dame and The Phantom of the Opera. And Lon Chaney was this actor whose proficient use of makeup earned him the nickname The Man of a Thousand Faces. So he was able to do basically horror makeup and make himself look basically just terrifying in an era where like movie magic, movie makeup like wasn't basically there yet, right? And he was the one who was able to kind of utilize all of it. Can I real quick share yeah. my favorite Lon Chaney yeah. fact sure. that I learned mm-hmm. in film study in high school? Yeah. So apparently Lon Chaney was kind of a weird dude in real life, too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's just people assuming he'd be weird because he was in all these monster movies or if he was genuinely just kind of an odd duck. Yeah. But pe- some people believed that he was actually like a vampire or something. They were yeah. like, he's too good at playing it. He's got to be a real monster. <laughs> he's got to be like an actual monster. Yeah. <laughs> he's a creepy dude. I would recommend looking up Lon Chaney. Yeah, he's he's a weird looking. But can you like imagine nowadays somebody being like, I think Steve Buscemi is actually a vampire, right? Instead of being like, that's just Steve Buscemi's face. That's just Steve Buscemi. That's just how he is. Yeah. It's fine. I love Steve Buscemi, but yes, that he's is amazing. just his face. <laughs> <laughs> no shade towards Steve Buscemi. He's just the first character yeah. actor I thought of. <laughs> So, fun fact: Phantom in 1925 was actually one of the earliest movies to utilize Technicolor. So that's the era that we're talking about right now. Is like very early in film. Yeah, like film had just come out like ten years earlier. So yeah, it's this is kind of the wild west of films, not counting wild west movies. Um, (laughs) But like this was an era where there was a lot of experimentation and a rush Mm -hmm. to make this new medium like the next big thing. Yeah. So while technically Phantom of the Opera and Hunchback don't fall under these universal like monster movies umbrella, they did open the door to Universal creating these monster movies. A 1930s re-release of The Phantom of the Opera with sound added was such a significant box office success that that's how Universal was like, yeah, let's do monster movies. Let's do horror movies. And 
why why does Phantom count as a horror film? Well, apparently it was so terrifying that the again because Lon Chaney was terrifying in Phantom that yes. Universal actually urged theaters to supply smelling salts for <laughs> viewers that passed out upon the reveal of the Phantom's face. So like that's how scary we're Amazing. talking. It's a simpler time. <laughs> yeah, and, like, audiences were less complex. They had not, like, nowadays we have all seen, like, everything. Yeah. Even if it's a super crappy movie, they can afford some, like, basic CGI. So yeah. we're very jaded and hard to impress. Back at the time, it's like, we're used to seeing people in the movies have, like, a regular face, not, like, a misshapen, scary phantom face. So right. it was, it was upsetting. <laughs> it was a little upsetting, yeah. Like, so- one of the first ever movies was of a train. Yeah, and people were scared, yeah. They thought the train was going to come bursting out and kill them all, so they started screaming and running from the theater because they were simpler times and they didn't know what they were looking at. Yeah, it's bananas to think about that. It's kind of like me with my phone the other day using Home Depot's AR system to see what the 12-foot skeleton would look like in my living room and me straight up tripping on my couch because I was so, like, I was looking at the screen with the skeleton in it and not realizing that I didn't have to duck out of the way of the skeleton. I could have just walked at my normal pace. Oops. I was just, like, so enamored by the screen skeleton. (laughs) see now that's what it takes to scare us and like you look at modern horror movies it's got to be like the killer is covered in blood actively Mm -hmm. holding somebody's head carrying four machetes and also making a scary sound and still audiences are like okay sure i don't know what you want me to do with this Mm -hmm. so 1930s we're here in February of 1931, Universal released Dracula, starring Hungarian-American stage actor Bela Lugosi as the title character and directed by Tom Browning. Lugosi's otherworldly portrayal of the vampire helped make Dracula a box office success and Universal's top-earning film of 1931. Bela Lugosi is, like, the Dracula. So if you think about, like, mm-hmm. that black-and-white Dracula, that's Bela Lugosi. Also a creepy-looking dude, frankly. Also, also a creepy-looking dude. There so, were just a lot of creepy-looking dudes in the 30s, and they yeah. were all movie stars. <laughs> so part of the reason that Universal was so adamant to adapt the Dracula story into a film was that a stage version of the same story was a tremendous hit on Broadway. But Universal executives actually had no interest in hiring Broadway actor Bela Lugosi for the role of Count Dracula, despite the fact that his portrayal of the classic character in this Broadway production had received Universal acclaim. They tried to get every film ma- major film star they could to pl- find to play the character just to avoid having to meet with Lugosi. But then one day, Lugosi happened to be touring in Los Angeles when casting began. Coincidental. <laughs> and he decided And he to happened to be wearing a big, long black cape. cape yeah. And had little pointy teeth. And was yeah. carrying around a woman whose neck had been recently bitten. It was a lot of coincidences. Well, a lot of coincidences. <laughs> so he just, you know, happened to be in the neighborhood, so he dropped by Universal Studios. And even though Universal executives are still like, I don't know, Lugosi <laughs> managed to convince them to hire him by taking a pay cut. He was re- paid... a day to play Dracula, and he only received $3,500 total for his efforts. And to put that into some perspective, some stars were commanding over $100,000 at this time for a film, and even less... 1930s money? Yeah. And even lesser known... Lesser-known actors could make $20,000 from a single movie, and Lugosi was, like, (sighs) so into being Dracula that he, like, took that pay cut. Wow. 
And so while some will argue that Christopher Lee's performance as Dracula is like one of the greatest of all times, Bela Lugosi's portrayal of the of this character is basically the definite most definitive take on Dracula. Right. This is if you think about like any kind of character version of Dracula with like an accented drawl and calculated mm-hmm. movements with the slicked back hair and the long cape. The Dracula that we're thinking of is from Lugosi. It's also even more amazing that the way we imagine Dracula as basically um, Bela Lugosi only actually happened in two films. Following the success of 1931's Dracula, Lugosi was so worried about being typecast that he was originally tapped to play Frankenstein's monster, but uh, at the time, Frankenstein's monster was just going to be a brutish killer with no trace of emotions. And Mm -hmm. so he turned that role down, and then Universal started treating him as a second-tier actor and instead hyping Boris Karloff as their real star instead. And Lugosi wouldn't return to the role until until Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which was the last time he played Dracula in a film. So, like, he was, like, really, like, just kicked to the curb. So even though he's iconic... It's so sad. Yeah, he was kicked to the curb. Also, I was joking earlier about how there were an abundance of creepy-looking dudes who were all actors in the 30s, but... There really were. Yeah. <laughs> Boris Karloff. Yeah, Boris Karloff, another creepy looking dude. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> a fun fact about Dracula is that mm-hmm. in the original Bram Stoker novel, Dracula could transform into a b- bat, wolf, mist, and other forms at will. And his ability to transform into a wolf was a pretty crucial element of the original film's plot. But basically, his ability to transform into a bat is the one that's kind of stuck with the character the most throughout the years. And that iconic image was actually not shown in 1931's Dracula. It was implied that he could change into a bat, but the transformation of a vampire into a bat didn't happen until Son of Dracula 13 years after the original. Oh. Yeah. I like to think that they implied it in the original by him being like, I could turn into a bat, but it would like totally blow your guys' minds. Yeah. So I'm not going to do it, but I totally can. I totally could do it if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. Because I, I don't wanna, want like, to. And like, I ate something earlier and I feel kind of weird. So I just like, I just don't want to. Yeah. Stop pressuring me. I totally so, can. I'll do it some other time if yeah, I want to. For sure. I can do it. <laughs> Dracula by Spoop Hour. He's actually <laughs> just a mean girl. <laughs> <laughs> His uncle works for Nintendo. It, my uncle works for Nintendo, and so I've done it for him, and, like, Nintendo offices, like, all clapped and said they were going to make a game based on me, but, like, if I showed you guys, it's, like, proprietary information for Nintendo, so, like, you'd have to actually pay Nintendo a fee if I turned into a bat, so I'm not going to do it, but I totally can. Yeah, just just so you know. <laughs> can I just say I've never related to a character more than Mean Girl, my uncle works for Nintendo, Dracula. Right. <laughs> The best character, the best new original character from Spoop Hour. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay, so in November of 1931, <laughs> Universal released Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Uh, Frankenstein. Boris Karloff as Frankenstein's monster and directed by James Whale. And like Dracula, it was also another significant box office success. So, what's the name of Dr. Frankenstein's hunchback assistant? Is this a trick question? Because I want to say Igor. Igor. Well, Igor but, or Igor, okay. right? Okay, that's yeah. what everyone thinks, right? Hunch, 
we're we're thinking of like a hunched over assistant following yeah, Dr. Like, Frankenstein yes, around. Yeah, yes, master, right? It's I wish so you guys strange. could see what both Sasha and I are doing right now. <laughs> yeah, I wish you guys could see it. It's just really strange to think that Igor or Igor is so closely associated with the Frankenstein universe when a character named Igor never appears in the original Frankenstein novel. There's no Igor in the original Frankenstein film or of uh, Bride of Frankenstein. Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah, Dr. Frankenstein's original assistant was actually named Fritz. So, <laughs> where does Igor Igor come from? Also, what happened to Fritz? Right, what happened to Fritz? <laughs> Well, the first time anyone with a name close to that appears in a Universal Monster movie is when Bella Lugosi, there he goes again, <laughs> played a character named Yegor with a Y in 1939's Son of Frankenstein. However, that character doesn't exist, Dr. Frankenstein, and does not have a hunchback. And then to make matters more confusing, Dr. Frankenstein wouldn't be assisted by a hunchback servant until 1944's House of Frankenstein, but that character's name was Daniel. <laughs> was it Daniel the dude that oh no I'm thinking of Dracula yeah isn't that dude Daniel I knew Igor wasn't in the book I thought for sure he was in the original movie so let's find out the first time that a hunchback assistant <laughs> named Igor helps Dr. Frankenstein on film is it Young Frankenstein was Mel Brooks's 1974 oh. parody <laughs> Young Frankenstein I was mostly kidding no that's where Igor comes from that's so, bananas. Igor, gotta, as we gotta, know, is only from 1974. Oh my god. Yeah. So, my whole life is a lie. Yeah. I'm 31 years old and I'm learning this for the first so time. The Young Frankenstein with starring, you know, Gene Wilder and Madeline mm -hmm. Kahn and Marty Feldman, right? Mm -hmm. Marty Feldman's Igor. Was is the, the Igor. <laughs> that's the only, that's the first Igor. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I'm so confused. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, it's... So where did he get it? <laughs> I get, that was just Mel Brooks. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I can't I believe really this is causing my existential again. crisis, but it is causing an existential... I'm like, <laughs> okay. Oh my god, I have to rethink everything I thought I knew. <laughs> So Frankenstein also, or the original Frankenstein film, also is kind of where we get horror films with ambiguous endings that leave the door open for a sequel. These mm. endings f basically serve two purposes. First is that it allows studios to pick up where they left off if they want to, you know, develop a potentially lucrative, you know, follow-up for an established mm -hmm. brand, especially, like, if they think, like, oh, this could be a big thing, like, they want to leave that w door open. Yeah. And the second is that they also give an edge to the end of a scary movie by leaving the fate of the heroes in doubt. And that's why we have a million sequels to The Purge, Halloween, a whole universe around The Conjuring, you know, all of that. Yeah. So the original ending to 1931's Frankenstein was going to go against both of those principles as it featured Dr. Frankenstein and his monster dying in a windmill fire. But Universal <laughs> was like, mm, okay, that's kind of dark. And our audiences might not accept something so drastic and conclusive. And also, what if we wanted to make a sequel? How would we do that if Dr. Frankenstein was dead? <laughs> so they ordered Dr. Frankenstein to be rescued from the fire so that the character could appear again. And that's how we got horror movie sequels. That's basically what they did to Arthur Conan Doyle. Arthur Conan Doyle was like, Sherlock Holmes dies. And his publishers were like, no, he doesn't. And Arthur Conan Doyle was like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> 
It's like, unless. <laughs> unless. It's the end, dot, 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 question, question mark? mark? Yeah, exactly. The That's end? where that came from. Can you imagine how it must have blown audiences' minds to be like, oh my god, it's the dude from that movie we saw a couple years ago. Whoa! Like, for the original he's sequel. Back. <laughs> oh my god, I loved Dr. Frankenstein. What's he up to now? <laughs> So and now we're like, ugh, another sequel. Another my God. sequel. Are you serious? My God. Yeah, we're going to be How saying that. How many paranormal activities do we need? We'll be saying that shortly when I talk about the reboots. Oh God. <laughs> so in November of 1932, you got the mummy in there, right? Yeah, I put the mummy in there. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I not, have a lot of thoughts about Tom Cruise. But, in the but fucking not, mummy. not the good mummy. We're going to talk about the yeah. bad mummy. The yeah, the Tom reboot Cruise mummy, one. not the fun yeah. Brendan Fraser mummy. Yeah, not the this very everybody bisex- in this cast is super hot. Yeah, mummy. the delightfully bisexual <laughs> mummy. Everybody's super hot and yeah. they're having adventures and it's what all of us wanted to grow up and do was be super hot and have adventures. Right. So, speaking <sighs> of the mummy, in November 1932, <laughs> a year after Frankie was released, <laughs> Frankie, Frankie, Universal released The Mummy starring Boris Karloff as Imhotep. <laughs> I swear to God, that guy got around as a monster. Right? He was an ancient Egyptian priest whose body is reanimated. While the film, the marketing for the film promoted Karloff as a bandaged-up mummy, he only appears like that very briefly in the film. So, oh. when Pharaoh Tutankhamun's tomb was opened in 1922, ten years before the movie, the world became obsessed with ancient Egypts and mm-hmm. like basically everything to do with it, right? And it was only mm-hmm. fueled by the fact that many of those who were present at the opening of Tutankhamun's tomb died under mysterious circumstances within a few years of the event itself. Conspiracy Ooh. theorists attribute the death of 11 people to the mysterious curse of the pharaoh's tomb. As you imagine... It definitely it, wasn't bacteria and some of them were old... And white people shouldn't be digging up <laughs> other people's other graves. graves. Great. So, <laughs> as you might imagine, the hysteria this curse caused helped inspire Universal to produce 1932's The Mummy. However, that's not the only link between the film and the tomb's historic opening. Before he helped write the screenplay for such Universal classics as Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, and The Mummy, John L. Balderston worked for a publication known as The New York World. One of his assignments involved extensive coverage of the opening of Tutankhamun's tomb, for which he was present. In fact, Universal originally had no intention of having the mummy open in ancient Egypt until Balderston came up with the idea. And in case you're wondering, Balderston's eventual death by heart attack is not attributed to the curse. (laughs) He just died of a heart attack. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know. (laughs) Maybe Igor killed him. Maybe Igor killed him, and that's how we got Igor in 1974. (laughs) (laughs) So, in 1933, Universal released The Invisible Man, starring Claude Rains as the titular character. Wait, was Boris Karloff not in it? No. Surprise! Oh my god. Surprise! It was directed by Frankenstein director James Whale, and a sequel was released in 1940, starring Vincent Price as the new Invisible Man, which was the actor, so, which was Vincent Price's first ever horror role. So, iconic Vincent Price... Scary Aww. dude. Now we know him as the guy who voiced over the Thriller video. Yes. And so that Vincent Price, his first horror film was the se- sequel to Invisible Man. Hmm. So we're going to talk about the Invisible Man for a second. And what I mean is the 19, uh, sorry, the 2020 version and also what happened oh. with the Universal Monster reboot. So here we go. Let's talk about companies trying to reboot shit even though they don't need to. So, Leave it be. Let's have an Igor origin story. <laughs> So, per Wikipedia, 
Since 2014, a new collection of standalone horror films was going to be distributed by Universal, and it was planned as a shared cinematic universe, but those plans were later scrapped because the new movies kind of sucked. And when I say (laughs) new movies, I mean three have come out, and it's most of them. Two-thirds of them sucked, primarily Tom Cruise's 2017 The Mummy and 2014's Dracula Untold. And I'll let you talk about. I haven't even heard of Dracula. Right. I will say both of them. I think made back their money in the box office. They were hits like at the time, but like they just. I mean, I've never like I didn't know about Dracula Untold until like literally I started doing my research for this. No, I've been mad about Tom Cruise doing the Mummy for three years now. So do you want to air your grievances? (laughs) Yes. One, I do not like Tom Cruise. Oh, me neither. Just, Just, I don't like him. I cannot distance him from being Tom Cruise in any role he's in. Mm-mm. So if he is in a movie, it ruins it. Because I'm like, that's just Tom Cruise. I don't believe him as anything. And also, he's a douche. Yeah. Secondly, we already had a perfectly good The Mummy. And yes, it was a different The Mummy and whatever. But it was it was a perfect it- little time capsule from 1999. And everybody was smoking hot. And they all had adventures. And it coincided with my super intense Egypt phase. We yep. were fine with The Mummy we had. And- and that's why we have The Rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because he was in The Scorpion King. Yeah. So, like, they didn't need to do that to The Mummy. They did The Mummy dirty. And they, they put Tom Cruise in it. They did The Mummy dirty. We had Rick O'Connell, and then we replaced him with fucking Tom Cruise. Right. <laughs> so Non-toxic masculinity Rick O'Connell, who immediately is like, I'm a dumb himbo. I'm going to let the lady be in charge because she knows what's happening. We love dumb himbos. Like we love dumb himbos. from Emperor's New Groove. He's the best himbo peak of himbo. them all. You He's, may not like it, but this is what, what peak, peak performance him- looks like. Yes. Peak, peak himbo, himbo performance. Mm. 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 Let's okay. all sit and think about our favorite himbos. <laughs> <laughs> so, The Invisible Man from 2020, at least, is supposed to be good. I've heard good things about it. I certainly am yeah. not going to watch it because... It's scary. It's scary. Rather than having a man terrorize a whole town to eventually, like, try to rule everything, it's actually a story about partner abuse and PTSD. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. after reading the synopsis for the film, because I love spoiling horror movies for myself because I'm never going to watch them because I hate horror movies. Legit. It actually seems to have a more satisfying ending, which I will not get into because spoilers for other people, but I will tell Courtney about it later. So, so all of this leads me to the MCU. The Monster Cinematic <laughs> all roads, Universe. <laughs> all roads lead to the MCU, the Monster, the Monster Cinematic, cinematic universe. universe. So, originally conceived as a cinematic universe that was called the Dark Universe, with multiple crossovers and interconnectivity between the films, the label is now used colloquially by some media outlets to just refer to the Universal Pictures' rebooted franchises. It was initially conceptualized as a shared universe, just like the Marvel films, and... The studio announced the the projects that were in development with a press release announcing basically the intellectual property's title, a trailer, casting announcements, an official theme composed by Danny Elfman. They had casting that included Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Um, Javier Bardem as the Frankenstein's monster, Johnny Depp as Invisible Man, and also Tom Cruise and Sophia Boutella as Nick Morton and Princess Amanette in The Mummy, and... They were also announcing rebooted adaptations of characters like Van Helsing, the Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Phantom of the Opera, Dr. Jekyll Hyde, Hunchback of Notre Dame. And Alex Kurtzman and Chris Morgan were announced as co-runners of the Dark Universe and having, you know, collaborations from other directors and writers and stuff like that. 
Mm -hmm. So, unfortunately, after mixed critical receptions to the first two installments, and by mixed, I mean, I think the Dracula Untold had like a 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Universal halted development on further projects, and they basically just reassessed all the plans for the future. As you might know, Johnny Depp is not in The Invisible Man, (laughs) so like a lot has changed. Yep. So in May 2018, artist Robert Vargas announced from his social media account that he had attended a meeting with Studio and was going to collaborate on character designs for Dark Universe. And then during this period of time as well, Kurtzman and Morgan left their roles of co- as co-architects of the franchise. And Jason Bloom of Bloomhouse Productions, who did Paranormal Activity, Insidious, The Purge, Hush, Split, Happy Death Day, The Halloween Reboot, Us, and The New Invisible Man... <laughs> basically had publicly expressed his interest in reviving and working on future installments within the Dark Universe franchise, and as we now know, he did. And by 2019, the studio announced plans to develop individualized films with standalone installments and, like, their own sequels if they were successful. Hmm. So, upcoming, we do have The Bride of Frankenstein, Dark Army, which is directed by Paul Feig, Feig? The I guy think it's Feig. Feig, the guy who, like, directed Bridesmaids and, yeah. like, several comedy films. So, yeah. And Dark Army is supposed to be, like, all of these characters together. <laughs> Can I just say, if they want these movies not to suck, they need to hire us as consultants. They really do need to hire us as consultants, because I feel like we we'll can do amazing. a lot with, like, horror horror fanfic. Yep. There's a film... Dracula's gonna be a super mean girl, and he's gonna spend a lot of time talking about his uncle who works for Nintendo. For sure. <laughs> Wolfman is gonna have a is gonna be like um a hair product mogul. Ooh yeah. Like an influencer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be on Instagram and be like, hashtag spawncon, check out this tea. It makes your locks extra curly, even when it isn't a full moon, winky face. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, universal. Email spoopower at gmail.com. We're we, happy to we make these you. movies not suck for you. <laughs> And then we've also got Renfield, where Dracula's henchman gets his own movie. Yep. A new Frankenstein, an Invisible Woman reboot. And this has nothing to do with Invisible Man, because The Invisible Woman is a 1940s comedy film. And this one has Elizabeth Banks attached. Oh. Monster Mash, which is a musical, Dracula, Little Monsters, and a sequel to the 2020s Invisible Man, because it was so successful. And then maybe a Wolfman movie as well. So we're available for all of these product projects, Universal. So gmail.com. I'm going to sort of close out my last couple of things with I'm going to actually skip out, skip out on Wolfman because nah, it just right, basically, Wolfman. basically the tech was so complicated that it took the 22nd scene of him transforming took 10 hours to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> So, movie magic. Movie Um, magic. But basically, the decline of the movie, Universal Monster Movie, was because these movies came out during Hollywood's pre-code era. So this is before the infamous Hey Code was enforced in Hollywood, which started in 1934. So before 1934, studios could get away with a lot more sex, violence, and other questionable content. Mm-hmm. And so Universal's early monster movies were some of the first mainstream films to openly challenge the accepted levels of decency in American movies. And audiences back then were basically on board with the increased focus on horror and violence. But some say that Universal went too far when they released The Raven in 1935. 
The Raven featured or alluded to concepts like torture and disfigurement, and it also didn't do too well at the box office and actually contributed to horror movies being banned outright in England. Wow. And so, with the major international market no longer in play, Universal was like, ooh, we should probably get out of this. And so, luckily, it didn't kill the genre outright, even though it did kind of threaten the future of horror movies in America. Mm -hmm. Theater owners basically took a huge hit in revenue because they were relying on the mass appeal of the monster movies and didn't want them to go away. So Mm -hmm. the owner of the Regina Theater in Beverly Hills was so desperate for the money that these movies used to bring to him and his new dying wanting to save his new dying theater or his dying theater that he decided to host his triple feature screening of Dracula Frankenstein and Son of Kong and that promotion worked and that screening basically like started attracting huge numbers of crowds and like people desperate for more universal monster movies people had to the the police had to be called in to like keep the crowds in line because people wow. were so desperate to go see these uh, these films in this like special triple feature that this one movie theater in Los Angeles was putting on so Mm. universal was then like okay maybe you know like these these theater owners are making a lot of money maybe we should try to release more monster flicks and they did but Hayes code continued to fuck shit up but hollywood was so adamant about the enforcement of the code of conduct that they actually demanded pre-code movies like dracula be reshot before they could be re-screened in post-code time wow and so, basically, the reshoots combined with, like, sort of the fast and loose nature of the industry led to a lot of cut content just being gone forever. So, wow. the original opening of 1931's Dracula had a man standing in front of a curtain and, like, telling the audience to consider, hey, maybe vampires walk among us. And it was basically deemed to be anti-religious and insinuated that audiences should believe in dark forces. And so, it was cut. <laughs> And a similar scene in the opening of Frankenstein was allowed to stay in the picture and has become basically like an iconic part. You can see it parodied in Simpsons Treehouse of Horror opening where Marge comes out in front of the curtain. But mm-hmm. anyway, the original footage of that scene as it was used in Dracula has never been recovered. So, hmm. yeah, basically censorship sort of took down part of the scary movie industry. But now it feels like anything goes, so... <laughs> Hooray! Hooray! So, the last thing we're going to share is the tale of Resurrection Mary. Ooh! First sighted in the 1930s, Resurrection Mary has been called Chicago's most loved ghost and the Queen of Archer Avenue, a super haunted street in Illinois. The legend and resulting ballad of Mary always begins the same way, with a blonde young woman, approximately 19, and with a Polish accent. She loves dancing and is usually spotted in a long, lacy white dress. In the 30s, Mary would wait on Archer Avenue near local dance halls and just wait for a young man to drive past. Once one did, she would flag them down and beg for a ride home. If the young man allowed her in the car, she would give vague directions and share meaningless chatter until the car drove past the Resurrection Cemetery at 7200 South Archer Avenue in Justice, Illinois. At that point... Mary would leap out of the car and vanish into the cemetery. Mary always hitchhikes, no matter what version of the story you hear, but she will often show up in the dance hall itself. 
Then what she'll do is she will lure a young man in to dance with her. And even though the young man will describe her as moody and cold, both physically and emotionally, but remember, she's super sexy for a ghost. (laughs) So like, she can pretty much do whatever she wants. So they're like, she was kind of distant and cold, but like, she's really pretty, so... I just like dance do with her. Yeah. It's fine. Every evening spent dancing, because she will pick one guy and they'll dance the whole night away. Ooh. That's so lovely and romantic. It all ends the same way. Mary will ask for a ride home. Then, once again, once they drive past the resurrection cemetery, she vanishes at the gates. Yee! In one run-in with Mary, the unfortunate young man chosen for the night had managed to get her home address out of her earlier in the evening. When he drove her to her house to make sure she got home okay because like she jumped out of the car and disappeared in the cemetery so he's like that's weird maybe she knows like a shortcut i don't know about <laughs> and she just like ran home or something i don't know so he drove to her house knocks on the door to make sure she got home okay and that's when mary's father met him at the door and told him that mary had died several years earlier as the result of a car accident on the way to a dance at the very dance hall where he met her Mary was even buried in her dance slippers because she loved dance so much. In more modern times, a.k.a. once again the 1970s, Resurrection Mary has been described as increasingly hysterical, often weeping or just screaming once she gets into the car. She also now doesn't wait to be invited into the car for somebody to ask her to dance. She'll wait for a young man to be stopped at a nearby traffic light, and then she'll just leap into the car. And then she'll just, like, scream at him for a little bit, and he'll, I guess, drive out of panic, and then she disappears at the cemetery gates. She was also spotted once around Christmas by two young boys who reported that she was, quote, dancing down the street and acting weird. (laughs) The boys told their parents once they were home what they had seen, and their parents were the first to tell them of the legend of Resurrection Mary. And there is genuinely a ballad of Resurrection Mary, and it was a jukebox song for a while in Chicago, and it was very popular because everybody knows this story. And that's the real quick Resurrection Mary story. Oh. Basically, we've, we've had a lot of hitchhiking ghosts, but this one specifically has to do with the 30s. Yeah. And she has a cool nickname, and sometimes Ooh. she screams at people. Ooh. What's not to love? So, thank you for listening to our 30th, 31st, entering our 30s episode, Spoopsgravaganza. I don't know what that word was, but that's fine. Spoopsgravaganza. Fine. Fine. (laughs) As a reminder, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SpoopHour. You can also email SpoopHour at gmail.com. Keep an eye out for later this October, where we are guesting on Boobies and Newbies with the amazing Kelly. Mm-hmm. We read an excellent book called My Halloween Heartbreak. It was delightful. Could have had more Halloween in it, but yep. that's fine. And, yeah. What else do we do? I feel We've like... got a Patreon. Yeah. Well, oh, I just realized that Canadian, ha- uh, Canadian Thanksgiving is in October. Mm-hmm. It's, like, now, I think. Yeah. But I was thinking, like, yeah, it, it could have had more more Halloween in it. And it really just takes us through Thanksgiving. And then I realized they didn't do Thanksgiving in that book because they don't do American Thanksgiving. They <laughs> yeah, they don't have American Thanksgiving. Yeah. By the time they were back in each other's lives, Thanksgiving had come and come gone. On. So happy Canadian Thanksgiving, Canadian listeners. Here's <laughs> 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 the moral of that story. We hope you're dressing up as Pikachu for Halloween. Yes. Stay safe. Stay spoopy. Make good choices. We love you. Vote. We love you. Vote. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Seriously, How many creepy men existed in the 1930s and how many of them were movie stars? All of them.
all of them. Hey guys, my name is Tara. And my name is Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast, Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal. Or murder. Join us every Monday as we tell our listeners about a new spooky tale or true crime case. We'll have a special drink recipe each episode picked out by me for you to enjoy while we scare the hell out of you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever the hell else you listen to podcasts. Come hang out with us and get your spooky on. Spooky on.